0: Hi this is Marcus and we're going to be talking about an artist who died 30 years ago as of January the 23rd this year And that's Salvador Dali uh, This episode may not be suitable for younger children And you can head over to the website modernartitsrubbish.com Where you can see links to all the images that we discuss in the show My
1: night is rubbish.
0: Hello and welcome to uh, Modern Art is rubbish episode number 29. nerf. Whoa! Uh, yeah, I remember that. Great, great uh, French speaking, Marcus. Yes, I remember my uh, my my twenties. So uh, today, Tom, after the last pop, Tom, I got a bit um, I got a bit tired, as you do. You know, you've done you've done all the research and everything. And I had no ideas what we were going to do for this episode until I went to sleep. No. Yeah. And and I was visited by an artist who said, you must do me. Well, he actually said, you must do me. Like right this. <laughs> and uh, can you guess who it was? Well, I know who it was. You've already yeah, told uh, me. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right, I have. <laughs> oh, that was... Pretend you don't know. All right, yeah. Who, um, who
1: would talk... Can you do the impression again?
0: You must do me!
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's, that's as good as it I,
1: I didn't know Ross Abbott was an artist. <laughs> Ra- Ross <Russ> Abbott. <laughs> Ross Abbott. Ross
0: Abbott. You combine Bob Ross and Ross Abbott to make... Who's Bob Ro- Ross? Boss. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <Was it? laughs> <laughs> so, do not say that on an art podcast ever again. Who's Bob Ross? Yeah, but I, Bob I, Ross, the man with the really big hair, he's got like a big. I take uh, it he's an artist. He's dead. Bob Ross is the master of painting. Oh, is he? Yeah. He's he's the he's the master of instruction how to paint. Right. Yeah. He could do landscapes like that. Wow. Yeah. So
1: his name was Bob Ross Abbott. <laughs>
0: yeah. Bob Ross. We should do a spec Bob Ross special he's a, he's a hero of art. Oh
1: right, yeah, yeah, yeah great. Yeah, yeah. Well his hair
0: sounds good. Yeah, his hair is very good. Yeah. Yeah. You haven't guessed who it was then.
1: All right, it's yeah. Darley. <laughs> <laughs> My impression was that good, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah.
0: So um you know, I was thinking about, you know, Darley, he's a showman, isn't he? He was uh famous for his dreamscapes. And uh, you know, featured his anxieties and fears in his paintings.
1: Yeah, and you never quite pick up a phone the same after seeing Dali works. No, no, because he just that f- phone anxiety. Have you yeah. got? A, are, are you picking up a, a scorpion? Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> also, he. I think it's because uh, phones. He thought they were quite uh, sexy. Oh, right, Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Well, it takes all sorts, I suppose. Yeah. Not my uh, iPhone 4s. <laughs> Apparently, that's not sexy. Right, yeah. I showed that to my uh, niece. She saw, saw my iPhone for us and she said, "When would you get that? 2005." <laughs> <laughs> Not with that voice, of yeah. course. <laughs> so, um, yeah, have you had any uh, dreams at all that uh, sort of like Dali-esque surrealist dreams? Um, well,
1: there's, there's not many dreams I've had that I can I remember in the morning or that yeah. stay with me, but I, ha- I have to had one with a that had a an insect in a big cage.
0: Yeah, what was it was a doing? bit
1: weird. It was just in a cage, and I was, you know, I don't know, I was in front of it. So, I, I was scared in the dream. Yeah, it was a scary dream. Oh, Are dali paintings scary?
0: Yes. Yeah. they can be scary and sexy and. Strange, strange. Lot, it was definitely strange, yeah, weird. Strange juxtaposed, kind of juxtaposed, yeah. juxtaposed uh, images and and uh, objects.
1: Yeah. So, so does he? Uh, does he paint
0: from his own dreams? Is that what he did? Yes, he did. He did. Um, I had a dream which I want to tell you about as well. Okay, go on then. Yeah. <laughs> Have you painted it? <laughs> no, I haven't. I said like a. Did I sound a bit like Martin Luther King there?
1: No, I didn't think that at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, um, <laughs> yeah.
0: well, I actually had a what was called a, do you know, lucid dreams. I had a lucid dream.
1: Go on, explain to me.
0: Right, it's where you know that you're dreaming and you can control oh, right, things yeah. within the dream. And I was in a shop and I noticed that that the the, the time, I looked at the clock and I thought, Oh, it's like uh, ten past eight or something in, in in the shop, and then I looked away and the clock had changed time, and that's how I knew I was dreaming. Also, that and the fact that the the uh, boxes of cereal, uh, like there was a Kellogg's cornflakes box that was about about sort of about four foot three foot tall. Wow.
1: So that is quite a few kilograms of cornflakes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just my dream. <laughs>
0: so I noticed outside there were some, some, uh, some, some kids that were behaving quite badly. And I thought, well, oh, this is not on. And I thought, I'm in a dream. Now, I'd never do this in real life and I don't advocate violence. But because I was in a dream, I went out and I punched one of them. You punched a child. <laughs> no, yeah well they're about 16 and they're out of order and they're a dream i yeah, was dreaming yeah yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah in the dream in the dream so anyway they they obviously behaved after that and i went back in and i know it start, i was going to start to wake up yeah so uh what you do when you're in a dream if you don't want to wake up you spin round whoa And uh, that actually extends the dream if you spin in your dream. Wow, that's good to know. Yeah, so just remember that for you listening. If you want to stay in your dream longer, just start spinning around. I know what you're hoping, aren't you? You would like me to start doing a little bit of a biog.
1: Of your dreams?
0: No, of Dali.
1: Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Come on, let's let's hear the biog.
0: Yeah, well, so Dali was born in uh, 1904 and um, he was actually born in sort of north-eastern Spain and his dad was a lawyer. Figueres, he was yes. born? Um, and his father was quite strict and he was a lawyer and he was very close to his mother. And uh, he was quite, apparently, he was quite a shy and nervous child. Now, the thing is, with Dali, it's always quite hard to tell what's truth and what's not, because a lot of the stuff he said was just pure lies. Sometimes he'd tell the truth, sometimes he'd tell half-truths. It's quite surreal, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But apparently, there's something I can confirm. His friend said that he was, uh, this is a little strange Dali fact, he was terrified of grasshoppers. Well, who isn't? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, she said. Literally terrified of him and that the grasshoppers actually do appear in his uh, in some of his paintings. So, Ooh, give me shivers. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, he was like a really when he was younger he was a really really gifted artist. The thing is, is just as uh, for those of you that listen to our Vincent Van Gogh podcast. Um, there was a little baby vincent that died before he was born and uh, just the same as vincent van gogh there was a perfect little baby darley that was born before salvador, salvador. baby salvador
1: yeah. yes that's interesting so he had he had a baby brother that died before he was born yeah. and they named him the same name salvador the same Dali. as van gogh yeah, yeah. But his parents, Darley's parents told him that he was the reincarnation of his baby dead brother. Yes. Yeah, so that's quite interesting. Cause that's quite nice, isn't it, really? You like, all the pain of, like, losing a, a family member, it's kind of, it kind of cancels it out somewhat if you're told that as a youngster, does it, do you think? Well, I
0: don't know. I mean, the thing is, you Interesting see, psychology. The shadow of his brother lived with him for for you know uh, lived with him for his all his life his brother was always there and actually at some point he kind of said, thought that he was even became his brother even thought he was his brother well and
1: he, he was told that so yeah what, why, would it, why wouldn't you like some part of your psyche you'd attach yourself to that wouldn't you yeah yeah
0: yeah yeah you did brother I mean and the thing is he used to refer to his him and his spirit as Castor and Pollux Castor and Pollux were twins and uh When Castor was killed, Pollux asked Zeus, as you do, you know, just go and ask Zeus to let him share his immortality with his twin to keep them together. So uh, they were transformed into the constellation of Gemini. Yeah so that's that's quite deep. Castrum Pollux comes from Greco-Roman mythology. So Stuff.
1: we're talking about Greek mythology. He wasn't like a Christian
0: or anything then because he's Spanish, isn't he? So what I've read he believed in god in a god but he didn't believe in the in his sort of religion and he he kind of a lot of time he rallied against everything. He used to get angry and sort of like fight a lot of things and he was he wasn't an anti-religion but he wasn't pro-religion. And he would. He's made some religious paintings, but he kind of had a, I think, a love hate re- relationship with it. All oh, right. Yeah. If that's if that's the thing, I don't know. Maybe that's because of his strict father. I don't know. But uh, this pa- the painting that I'm looking at now, and we'll put full links onto the site so everyone can see it. Was actually done in 1963, and it's called Portrait of His Dead Brother. And what's really interesting is it's a it's a kind of, it's a portrait that's been done in uh, what was very popular at the time, pioneered by the artist Roy Lichtenstein, of a kind of like it looks like a newsprint face on a Dali landscape. So it looks like a sort of close up of, of a newsprinted face. And what Dali's done is he's used the dots as in uh, that would be there f- in newsprint to create a face of a of a young boy. Now. Is that he's put that it's his brother? But I think it's you know it's just a face that he pulled from a newspaper because his brother would have been about two and a half when he died. Yeah, it looks like a sort of young Adolf Hitler or something, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Dali did a lot of a lot of Hitler images, and he was actually put on trial uh, by the surrealists for having so many Hitler images, and he basically said, you know, it's from my subconscious you know I draw what I see so but Hitler's obviously came to him a lot in dreams as a child uh darley spent a lot of time in a place called Calaquesh, which is quite near Figueres in uh in the northeast part of Spain Catalonia yeah and uh it was by the sea and it had a landscape dominated by rocks you know and you can imagine you know a young boy a young boy, Darley, sitting there and looking at these rocks, and these rocks would take on lots of different shapes. And I was looking at some photos of these rocks, and you see one shape of, you know, one of the rocks clearly looks like a camel, and then another one looks like a rhinoceros. So you can imagine where he gets all these ideas for these strange shapes and uh, nature. Yeah, from nature, you know. And again, he does these things where he takes clouds and sees double meanings in them. Have you ever done that? Set of clouds and looks and try to make shapes out of them. I've seen a, a man in the moon.
1: What in in the clouds? No, not in the clouds. But I've seen a um, um you know, a face in the
0: moon. Oh right, on the moon, yeah. Yeah, but it's kind uh, of a oh, similar right. sort of. Uh, That's like that one from the old nineteen. I think it's the nineteen twenties film. That quite that famous one. All oh, right, yeah. 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 Um, I saw one. Was was a flying saucer, but a perfect flying saucer, and it had all the windows what in the clouds unless it was a cloud flying saucer it was literally like a perfect flying saucer with windows and everything and the shape i assume it was a cloud
1: yeah because i mean it's it's so annoying when you get your flying saucer and there's no windows on it (laughs) how are you supposed to see where you're going you want to send it back to the company don't you
0: (laughs) yeah yeah i don't Well, you would want a good view if you're going to fly and come all that way across the galaxy. In a saucer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you can imagine he, he sees all these these extra images, these double images in, in the clouds and in the rocks. And this does creep into his art later on in life. And uh, for example, in 1931, he painted a thing called Paranoic Village. And what happened was that Picasso uh, sent him an image of an African village in, in the early um, '30s, and he looks at it. And what it is is when you look at it on one on one side, it looks like a sort of an image of five five people uh, sitting in front of a kind of like a, a an African home, an African hut in a desert landscape. And then when you turn it on its side, it's a face.
1: Right. Yeah. Well, I looked at it straight away. I saw the face on its side. So when I first, so what does that, that it, say
0: about you that you didn't see the African village first? You just saw the face.
1: Yeah, I had to look harder to see the people. Yeah. Does that mean that I'm i uh, I'm a bit more off my head, <laughs> A bit more
0: surreal? <laughs> yeah, I mean that's the thing, isn't it? That this the subconscious thing, and the, and his, the idea of Dali is, his, you know, his images are. Some people can read things into things that aren't there. You know, I think that's part of the thing, isn't it? Some people look at one thing and see one thing, and some people look at one thing and see another. I think that's something that crops up into a lot of his work. Yeah. So, in 1921, it has to be said that an event happened to the young Dali, which caused him a lot of upset. I don't know so I'm he doing would have this. been 16, 17, yeah, sixteen, seventeen, nineteen twenty-one. Yeah, sixteen. His mum died of uh, cancer, so he was left with his dad, and they had a kind of like a love-hate relationship. So that left him feeling very sort of vulnerable. And in nineteen twenty-two, his dad said, "Look, you know," sent him to go to Madrid to study painting. Dali is a very uh, sort of was a very timid, shy person, and. Uh, I think that's why his personality actually changed because of that. He became this flamboyant genius because of because to overcome his actual timid nature, he went the opposite. Yeah, but
1: he's going through puberty as well yeah yeah he might you know he, they're hard the teenage years can be hard on a young painter <laughs> <laughs> but I love this
0: idea that he, he got about uh, creating his own myth is he you know because he always said he was a, a genius I don't know that was my darling that wasn't yeah. very good <laughs> but anyway he said if you play a genius you'll become one so I think there was that idea that, of play and trying to create yeah. this, this darling persona interesting enough him and his college friends uh, formed the uh, a movement which was called the sison uh, sombrerismo which thats sorry it's my Spanish accent there but uh, basically it means the without hats movement that was quite revolutionary apparently they uh, in 1920s everyone wore hats in Madrid and they decided to create a movement where no one wore hats. Whoa. <laughs> yeah.
1: So, what sort of reaction would that have got in 1920s Madrid? I went
0: people have walked up and ruffled their hair. That's what I would have done.
1: I don't know. I, if I, you were in a dream and you saw people with hats, uh, without hats in Madrid in the 1920s, you would have probably punched them in the
0: head. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Particularly if they were teenagers. Are you suggesting that I'm violent
0: <laughs> in my dreams? <laughs> That's a horrible thing to say, so.
1: so, but I mean, it's like, it doesn't. Seem like you know, looking back on this anti hat movement, what were they called? Anti hats, they were called without, without
0: hats. hats, yeah. it's like without hats, yeah.
1: Hashtag without hats, yeah. <laughs> they <were> like, <laughs> they're not gonna like upset many people, are they? I mean, was it like not polite to not wear a hat? It's quite hot in Spain, you know. I don't
0: know, I don't know what well, I, I, I never looked into the consequences of that, <laughs> right, not, yeah. not hat wearing. I mean, it's yeah. interesting because it reminds me of uh, this musician we know called Kevin Pierce. Good musician, actually worth checking out. But uh, he uh, he in during his time at junior schools, they uh, he he staged a protest. Him and the other kids, I suppose, it would have be been like eight or something, eight eight years old roughly, and they staged a protest of coats indoors. So apparently they weren't allowed to wear their coats indoors, but it was a bit cold in the classroom when they came in. They'd take the coats off before they went into the classroom. Yeah. So they staged a coats indoors protest.
1: So how did the protest manifest itself? They just put their coats on, did they?
0: Yeah, and I think they had placards, or they just walked marched around the programme saying "coats indoors." Coats indoors. Oh. Coats indoors.
1: I, I want to go back and join Kevin uh, Pierce on his I protest. I know. I felt
0: solidarity. I, <laughs> yeah. When he told me the story, I felt solidarity with him about that as well. I thought, "Yeah, coats indoors." <laughs> It's, yeah, it's great. It's kids taking power. I don't... Well, I, it's interesting. We've got all our kids
1: protesting in London at the moment. It's, yeah, yeah. You know, it's you know solidarity with the kids, isn't it? Maybe
0: it would be more green if everyone wore coats indoors, though, because the heating would go down. Um, OK.
1: Perhaps. <laughs> 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 coats indoors. Coats indoors. Coats indoors. In
0: 1926, he actually uh, went to Paris because he wanted to meet. Uh, so he's
1: finished his studies in. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Well, he
0: we actually he actually left. Apparently, you felt that his tutors weren't good enough to teach him because he was too much of a genius. Yes, fair enough. Yeah. You, did you did, when you went to music college? Did you? you s- I, I felt exactly the same. <laughs> <laughs> You're not joking, are you? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so he met with Picasso and um, basically Picasso described Dali as having a mind like an outboard motor. What would that? I was trying I was trying to think. An what outboard that meant.
1: motor, you see, we need to be boat people to understand it's a boat thing, isn't yeah, it? An yeah. outboard motor. Isn't it just one of them motors that you pull a cord? Yeah, yeah, and it goes petrol, yeah, yeah, and petrol, it goes in the it?
0: water. Well yeah, of course it goes in the water. How stupid is that? Um, yeah. But like a do you have to jump start him? you have jump to jumpstart Dali? Yeah, jump start yeah. Darley, you yeah have to and of...
1: once he's going, though, he's he's away. <laughs> and
0: the police aren't going to catch him. No. Because yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. of that Darley mind. Yeah, well, Dali has uh, done controversial things as well, you know. So, and uh, I don't know if the police did ever, actually ever catch up with him.
1: All right, yeah, yeah, yeah. good. Oh, I'm imagining a police chase across the water now. <laughs> with Dali's mind. Stuck in the water and Picasso pulling a string on him. <laughs> I, I think it's more involved. Something. It was in it. Picasso's Blue Period. <laughs> <laughs> Out in the uh, med. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 1929
0: is another really important. Yeah, it's the year. It's the year
1: of twenty four, twenty
0: five. Yeah. Where he is now. To quote Salvador Dalí, there can be no Gala with Dalí. Now Gala, she's far more than a muse. Uh, she was his sort of mentor. She gave him, helped him get ideas. She looked at his works, you know, helped him to choose whether it was working or not. Although she never actually painted any of it, it helped him paint anything. But she also she would hustle. She would get his work out there. And so I think having looked at the, you know, looked at Dali's biography and looked at it, it's actually true. You can't separate the two. They are, she is central to his, to his work. And um, uh, he actually even said, he said, it is mostly with your blood gala that I paint my pictures. You know, and also he said I would polish Gala to make her shine make her the happiest possible caring for her more than myself because without her it would all end and even later to say how much I think he did genuinely put her before himself um, later uh, it, when the relationship wasn't as close as, as it had been he actually uh, paid for her to have a mansion in uh, in It's a mansion uh, to stay at in Spain where she could have a string of uh, young lovers visit her. And if Dali wanted to visit her in his mansion, he'd actually have to apply for written, get written permission from her to attend.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs)
0: Yeah.
1: So it's almost like he put her, you know, in, in front of his own artwork.
0: Yes. She was so important. It should be Dali Gala, really if we'd actually say they're actually almost like a, they are a duo not a yeah Dali Gala Gali or Garly. Darla <laughs> Darla <laughs> that sounds like an 80s band called Darna, which I don't why am I bringing up them I really should not
1: scratch edit <laughs>
0: <laughs> or Dana. He also, in 1929, he made a movie called Chien Andalou with his, friend, his filmmaker friend, Louis Bunuel. An- Andalou? Uh, the Andalusian Dog. Oh,
1: right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And,
0: uh, yeah. Funny. It's a great film. It's a surrealist film, short surrealist film that doesn't actually seem to feature a dog. It is a compelling film, really good film. But it has a narrative that plays like a dream. Dial is in it and he plays a priest. And... It's famous for its opening scene, and uh, which you see this man. He's on his balcony. He's got a razor, and then you see the clouds, and then you see the razor, and then you see a woman, and then you see a close up with the razor cutting across the eyeball. The I don't know what the 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 stuff is inside the eye that sort of comes out. It's quite a famous scene from a film. Is it a cumulus or something? I don't know. Is that a cloud? (laughs) (laughs) Well, eye clouds. (laughs) Um, Yeah, well, I had, uh, well, I didn't have an eye cloud. I had a, uh, I've had like blobs in my eyes. uh, Not blobs, blobs of blood. I got a vitreous hemorrhage whilst eating a really hot pizza.
1: Oh, Marcus, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. (laughs) I was watching Jonathan
0: Ross eating a really hot pizza. And my eye just went boop. And now I have uh, synesthesia, so whenever I hear sort of sounds that uh, cause me alarm, it's I get a flash in my eye. Oh. Uh,
1: yeah.
0: It's like really rubbish synesthesia.
1: Right, oh, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I
0: think I've talked about this before, but it's it's clearly left a mark on me, because I always wanted it. I always wanted to have like a a Dali, a Dali life, sort of like a really strange Dali moments, and uh, so I know where I am. Uh, as well as the, the, the eyeball cutting scene, it's got things like uh, there's another scene where a man's got a stick and he's prodding this uh, this hand with his long stick. And uh, it's Picasso. Yeah, and there's two people, <laughs> there's two people, two policemen are holding back these guys all in hats. Yeah. And they're surrounding him, trying to. They're so curious, and they're trying to get a, get a closer look at the guy, and the police are holding him back. So that's one of the scenes in Chion, on the Andalou. And also, you know, there's another scene where you've got two grand pianos and stuck between the lid of the grand piano and the piano bit itself is uh, dead donkeys rotting with, with ants coming out of them, one of them.
1: Oh, right, yeah. So it's like the... Uh, normally you'd find dead
0: elephants on a piano, yeah, wouldn't yeah, you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so... I, I've had a few surreal movements, mo- movements, movements, <laughs> surreal <laughs> moments, surreal moments. Now I have to make. I'm going to do a quote here. Uh, hang sick. Yeah, sorry, yes, yeah. surreal movements is something you might have after a pizza and <laughs> <with the> glass. <laughs> Darley once said, "I don't do drugs. I am drugs." So I was I was sober when I viewed this. But when I was staying in uh, Colchester, I lived near a river. I remember looking out of out of the flat, it was about nine o'clock in the morning, and I saw this Asian guy in a white suit with, with aviated sunglasses walking backwards.
1: There's something quite like, darly about an, a, an Asian guy in a white suit.
0: But anyway, yeah, I don't
1: know. <laughs> he has an Arabic sort of flair, doesn't he?
0: Yeah, well yes. He looks he looked very cool. And I thought, What's going on here? I couldn't work it out. There was no film crew or anything, and they were, he was just walking backwards along the river. So I forgot about it, and I thought, you know, have I, you know, I I thought I was still dreaming. And then the next day, I looked out the window, and I saw an English woman walking backwards in just a normal, like, flowery, summery dress. And I thought, that's curious. That's just like the Asian guy I saw yesterday walking backwards. About a minute later, the Asian guy followed her walking backwards.
1: Whoa, that is surreal. So it was from a window in a, in a, in your flat.
0: Yes, where you were staying.
1: So, did you um find out what was going on with the backwards? No, and no. It's one, quite unusual to see people walking backwards.
0: No one believes me. Uh, I don't believe it, but I did see it, and and I've spoke to my brother who I was sharing a flat with, and. He accepts it was true, I think. But I don't know. I don't know why were they walking backwards. Did I see... Did I see something... Did time suddenly well, run people backwards? people do
1: walk backwards. It, Like I say, you don't it's often see it. It is a thing. Yeah. So, like, maybe it was kind of uh, yeah. some dodgy ground under there. Maybe there was a few melting
0: iPhones. <laughs>
1: <laughs> they had to tread carefully backwards over them.
0: Well, yeah, you would. If, you, if, you, if you're confronted with Dali... Dali kind of obstacles you're going to have to approach it in a Dali way (laughs) yeah very true (laughs) in the early 30s um, Dali created a thing which he called his Paranoic Critical Method it's a style of painting and it's also he wrote about it as well and he was very influenced uh, by Sigmund Freud who was at the time he was doing pioneering research into the unconscious mind Dali expressed this in paintings he would would create paintings featuring images drawn deep from his subconscious such as elephants you know drawers uh, and they would represent certain things like for instance he'd have uh, ants there's a lot of ants in Dali paintings. As a child, he saw an insect that had been eaten by ants and just the shell was left of this little insect and the ants were crawling all over it. The ants are featured quite heavily in a lot of his works. I think perhaps they, they might symbolise sort of powerlessness and death and uh, some people have said it's uh, represents a sort of overwhelming sexual desire.
1: Yeah, so that's going back to... Freud's work in the nineteen thirties yeah yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, I wonder if it just meant ants in your pants well, that's not sexy is it ants what's ants in your pants, ants in your pants is uh I was not <laughs> say that's not overwhelmingly sexy yeah <laughs> uh, well, maybe some people find it overwhelmingly sexy having ants in their pants, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. Let's <laughs> look back to the customer service. <laughs> Ooh,
1: ants in the pants. Is that what you like, sir?
0: Another thing that features quite a lot in his, his works, there's a lot of crutches in his work, a lot of wooden crutches. Basically, for him, I think it represented sort of death and resurrection. And, you know, it supported the flaccid because Dali always felt quite impotent, and he referred to himself as the grand masturbator. He only ever slept with his wife, Gala, in his entire life, and apparently he was a, quite a voyeuristic person. Oh, and I think yeah. his kind of sexuality and impotence, he felt a lot of that.
1: Yeah, and it's, uh, the, his deep subconscious.
0: Yeah. There's a lot of kind of quite melted, quite sort of uh, limp th- objects uh, and and flesh in in Dali. ...in Dali paintings, and a lot of times they're supported by crutches. Oh, so that's
1: it.
0: If you talk about Dali, you have to talk about his most... ...probably what is his most famous work. And that's called The Persistence of Memory, and he painted that in 1931. Now, this is a really quite a small painting, and it's in, uh, in America... And basically, what it is is a it's a picture of um, of of a landscape with rocks and sort of like by the beach. And again, it's it looks like the landscape that he would have seen when he was a child in in Cateches. What you've got is hard, a juxtaposition of hard and soft objects. In the middle ground, there's like a tree, and there's a melting watch on the branch of a tree their pocket watches in the foreground it looks like there's a table and there's another melting watch and then there's a pocket watch and it's got ants crawling all over it and then in the middle of the picture there's what looks like a melted face and it looks like it's Dalí's melted face and on top of the uh, of his face, did another pocket watch that's melting. It looks a little bit like a saddle on a horse.
1: Mm, it's interesting. So you've got the ants there. You were talking about the yeah. ants from his childhood on the carcass, and it's on the the ants are on the case, the carcass of the pocket watch case.
0: Yes. Yeah. So it's you know death and time, and, and the thing is, is that he did this after eating Camembert cheese. have you had experiences with camembert cheese then
1: (laughs) no I haven't but um, it's interesting I like to know about substances that produce uh, (laughs) produce surreal um, incidents
0: yeah I mean and it does I mean I think you can see the sort of the melting of of the cheeses you know it does look they, they do look a bit like melting cheese it's quite interesting because it's called the persistence of memory, you know, and around the time, I mean, the theories of Einstein is Einstein's relativity, and the theories Freud, of space Freud. Freud
1: was doing the, wasn't he? Did not he? Wasn't he involved in um, the, in the First World War? All the soldiers suffered with I can't remember what it's called, post traumatic stress disorder, and mm. uh, wasn't Freud central I think to that? Keep it the table. Oh yeah, so like you're talking minutes. about uh, persistence of memory? Yeah. Yeah, that's all related to the this painting. Is that related to Freud as well? Because um, he he was reading Freud, was that? Yes, him?
0: it is. I mean, he, these these images are drawn from your sub to the subconscious. But I think the actual message, when I look at this one, is about time melting, time not being constant, being there's a lot of. To me, I look at it and I think a lot of melting watches, a lot of insecurity. It's it's like it's almost like the end of time. And, you know, he would have been aware of Einstein at the time and, and the theories. Yeah, so
1: what's Einstein's theory of relativity? About
0: space-time, about space-time, time being yeah. relative, you yeah, know, depending yeah. on where you are and what position you are. So, yes, so you're looking at these and and you're thinking, yeah, you've got melting time. And also, it's, I think as well, even today with the whole climate change thing, it's got another meaning because it's, it's almost like time's running out. Oh, yeah. It's kind of like melting time. I'm sure that that probably wasn't on his thoughts at the time. But again, there is that kind of sense that nothing's constant. It's quite an insecure painting, I think, when you look at it. It, it, it looks very insecure. Mm. You know? Yeah. And it's aware of the past of time. But amazingly, this shows how important Gala was when she saw it. Um when she saw it she said no one will no one will ever forget it
1: alright so yeah so she
0: knew straight away
1: yeah no well that's uh, a poet, poetic response to yeah. the
0: persistence of memory yeah my mum said that when she saw my portrait of two smurfs that I did in watercolour. colour was that when you were four that's <laughs> 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 <Nice> recently <laughs> no she didn't say that So, 1940. Obviously, he's as a lot of artists did in 1940. He left. Well, I think they left at various times, but left uh, Europe because of World War Two, and he went to America. And the thing is, he was already famous, and he'd been he'd already been featured on the cover of Time magazine. Wow. Mm Yeah. So, and of course. You know, he gets there, and it's Americans are very receptive to to kind of new styles of art, as they always have been. And uh, so, he did a lot of he made a lot of money there doing portraits, and he did a lot of his uh, famous stunts as well. Thought you know, a lot of people thought that Dali was all about the money, but I just think it was just a, it was just money to him was like an oil for them Dali machinery.
1: So in like um, modern day, we say uh, we say that about our our old friend Damien, don't we? Damien mm. Hurst, he's all about the money. Mm. So that's true, isn't it? That's what people say about him. Yeah. What uh, he'd probably say about himself, maybe. So Darley was of that same sort of reputation at the time. Yeah.
0: This is a story that really sort of shows... Uh, I think there were lots of people that were driving him to say, like, get get out, let's make money, and Dali was just going, oh, this is good, yeah, let's just do it, it's easy. Because uh, in 1974, uh, French customs uh, un- apparently uncovered a shipment of 40,000 sheets of paper. And they, looked at and they were all just signed by Dali, but they were all blank. What he used to do was apparently he used to sign his prints before they were actually printed on, just to speed up the process. So some say, I've got to make six prints, darling. Can you just sign these? And then they go, and then they go and put them in the printing thing. And then, of course, someone points out to him, you know, just by signing a piece of paper, it gave it a value of about $40. So what in the end happened was that people thought, oh, yeah, I'll keep signing. So people encouraged him to keep signing. And apparently there's... There's about forty thousand to sixty thousand sheets that ended up with just Dali's signatures on them. Right, nothing else. No. Whilst he was in a, in America, Dali, you know, he, he he was making his making quite. He was making a lot of money, but he he also fame was was his thing, and he had a desire to break into Hollywood. So. He, um, He actually got hired by Alfred Hitchcock, I don't know if you know this, to make a dream sequence. And uh, what Hitchcock liked about Darley was that he felt that his, uh, his way of looking at dreams was more real. Because before then, whenever dreams had been portrayed in movies, it was all a bit vague and a bit out of focus and a bit wispy and foggy. Hitchcock thought, well, actually, Dali knows what dreamers are. They were, you know, they had hard edges. They were real physical objects. Yeah. And strange things. So he did that. So he uh, he actually created a piece. And i put a link on the website to the uh, the dream sequence from the movie Spellbound by Hitchcock for oh, you to see. Yeah. yeah. And um, as well as that, he actually had talks with the Marx brothers to make a Marx brother movie. Uh, it was called. Uh, it was going to be called "Giraffes on Horseback Salad." Giraffes on
1: horseback salad.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and
1: um, whose title was that? That was the
0: title. Mark Brothers. A, yeah, it was, a, it was a Dali film. I mean, it's a really strange. I mean, it's it never got made, but it has now actually been made into a, a graphic novel. And I'll put details of that novel if anyone wants to have a look at it.
1: So you did work on it, but it was never produced? No, no, right? they,
0: I think Groucho didn't like the idea. Oh, right. Okay, I mean, yeah. one of the things in the scene was a sur- it's got here a Surrealist Woman. Uh, a, the Surrealist Woman's Feast recalls Roman decadence. The guests are seated around her, huge, around her bed as if at a nightclub, you know. So And the food is all strangely covered and nothing is the hue to think it is supposed to be. So it's kind of like a typical Dali. Typical
1: Uh, Dali Friday
0: night. And also, he nearly made a uh, uh, short with Disney, and uh, that never actually came off. It was called Destino, but it has now finally been made, and it was made in 2002, and I'll put a link to that site as well. Dali did a lot of... Had a few stages of paintings, but his key uh, stages were the the one we talked about, the paranoid... The the critical method that we talked about earlier. And also he had one which was called nuclear mysticism.
1: Okay, so these are like... Movements he created in his own brain.
0: Yeah, I just think he was just trying different things and then decided to call them something afterwards.
1: Probably. Yeah, so it's about the creative process, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. Have you heard any musical periods? Yeah, no, m- no, many. I like, get yeah, monthly. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh yeah, we've been there.
1: I, you know, I used to play guitar. I used yeah. to play guitar religiously. It was like my yeah. breakfast, dinner, and dinner and. I don't know, evening snack? Yeah. It was all my meals, but now I just play piano. Oh. Yeah, so, like, this is different... I mean, I've entered a different phase of my music writing.
0: Yeah, it's weird. Artistically, I have no... In fact, I'd say I have loads of different styles. I don't actually have a discernible style. Yeah, mini-movements. Mini-movements. Lots, lots of mini-movements. Yeah. So, this one was called nuclear mysticism. Okay. And... Uh, You're not
1: going to talk about your mini-movements? No. <laughs> it's quite relevant, though, for this point, yeah, yeah. There, isn't it? Yeah, So
0: Yeah. Um, so, this uh, picture I've selected to show the example of nuclear mysticism is called the Galetta of the Spheres. And uh, Darley was, as we've said, you know, was interested in also uh, quantum theory and atomic science. And apparently he, he described the atom as his favourite food for thought. Uh, this, this portrait called the Galetta of the Spheres is a portrait of Gala and it's broken up into a sort of like a, a matrix of f- spheres that are suspended in the air. And it kind of has a, has a Renaissance feel about it. And uh, the spheres represent atomic particles. We will put links on the site so you can check out the work. It's quite a cool image.
1: Yeah. It's sort of. It, it makes me think of the universe. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it's like the, the spheres are like planets or moons. Yeah. They do look like, because if you look closely at the spheres, I mean, you've given me a printout. Yeah, yeah. Like a small copy of it. You can see the lines on it that make them look... Planetary rather than yeah. atomic, yeah. Like you were saying, they're atoms or whatever, but they yeah. look like planets,
0: don't they? Yeah, there's kind of got that feel of that as well. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a really interesting image, and it's some, you know, as I say, people need to see it to uh, to look at it. But that is, he did a, quite a lot of those. Um, I, if I'll be honest, I think some were more successful. I think some were just regurgitating all ideas because he uh, some of them look like some of his older paintings, but just made to look like they've been broken up into atoms
1: alright yeah it is a bit like spots isn't it yeah spots dots spots dots golly
0: (laughs) now Dali's influence is still obviously felt today some of the surrealist uh, you know surrealism's influence is felt today and Dali himself created a very famous uh, surrealist object called the lobster telephone it took an object he took a, he took a phone and he took a, a you know a, a a lobster well, a resin lobster this is and he placed it on top of the phone receiver So what you've got is you've got an old-style phone with a lobster stuck on top of the hand receiver.
1: He also plugged the wire into it,
0: didn't he, like
1: it was the receiver? Yes,
0: yes. So, I mean, the thing is, is that this, again, is is quite common. A lot of Surrealist objects did that, where they took two completely unrelated things and then brought them together. And um, to Dali, you know, uh, phones and lobsters, I don't know why, but lobsters had a sexual connotation. For instance, in one multimedia artwork, Darley uh, dressed live nude models in seafood costumes and he used lobsters to cover their regions. Their regions. <laughs> their private regions.
1: Okay, and so did he then try and call the lobsters so they answered the phone and then. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs>
0: But uh, you can see when he's when Dali, you can see how Darley actually came up with this idea because he was once asked about this. And he said, I do not understand why when asked for a grilled lobster in a restaurant, I am never served, served. I'm never served a cooked telephone. I do not understand why champagne is always chilled and why, on the other hand, telephones, which are a bit, habitually so frightfully warm and disagreeably sticky to the touch. Are not also put in silver buckets with crushed ice around them. I thought that myself.
1: Yeah, well, I guess like the thing about um, buckets of ice is they do carry an electrical current. You can.
0: (laughs) (laughs) He also created jewelry. For example. this, he created surrealist jewellery. I mean, the, the one I'm looking at the moment is uh, called Royal Heart and it's made in 1953. It's actually crafted from pure gold and it's actually encrusted with 46 rubies and 42 diamonds and two a- emeralds. And the heart, the ruby heart actually beats. Very tasteful. It's not very tasteful. Mm, it's yeah, horrible. Yeah.
1: It's as tasteful as um, our friend Damien Hurst.
0: Yeah. Yeah, f- for the love of God, which came out in 2007. <laughs> Darley also, uh, he, he made uh, furniture with a friend from England. He made, uh, for instance, he made a, a sofa which looked like Mae May West's lips, which you've seen, I believe, when you went to uh, his, the Darley Museum. Oh, I
1: have, yeah, yeah. I have. Yeah. Well, I showed you some photos I had, did Yeah, it's yeah, it one of those,
0: yeah. Yeah, and uh, what I like is, so he's taken the actress Mae West and created a sofa out of her lips. Now the thing is of course if you think about it, if you see these lips it's quite dark in a way because if you sit you're getting kind of like you're sinking into the mouth of may west
1: is that a bad place to sink <laughs> <laughs> i don't know <laughs> <laughs>
0: To end, I thought, I I want to give a flavour of some of the performances of Dali, and I call this the stunts of Dali.
1: Yeah, that yeah, sounds fun.
0: Yeah. So, and uh, the first one was called, I uh, call, well, I'm, it was called Cauliflower Car. He didn't name it Cauliflower Car, but it was involving a car and cauliflowers.
1: Okay, I'm imagining uh, a massive car, col- massive cauliflower that drives. <laughs> <laughs> Basically for the courgette the, as a steering wheel.
0: No, no. Gosh. This is this is what he did was he actually his performance was he filled up a Rolls Royce with five hundred kilos of cauliflowers and he drove it from Spain to Paris. Whoa. Um and then he sort of uh he did a talk, he did a talk, and apparently the reason was that everything ends up in the cauliflower. Okay. That was his reason. Very surreal.
1: Everything ends up in there. Yeah. Um, So are we going to recreate it?
0: (laughs) (laughs) And then the diving talk. He did a diving talk once where he was due to go to London to do an international surrealist exhibition. And Dali was going to give a talk. And so to represent how it existed in the bottom of the sea of consciousness, he actually turned up in an old-fashioned diving suit. And the problem is is you have to pump air. As I don't know if you know, but you have to pump air into these old diving suits. But no one was pumping air. So uh, he nearly collapsed in this hot airless suit. And yeah. uh, someone, he had to be rescued by someone who located a spanner and managed to undo it so he could breathe.
1: Was that the uh, RNLI? <laughs> the royal, <laughs> like, what, the royal uh, national lifeboat association.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he also made a 12 metre long loaf of bread in a performance.
1: 12 metre long loaf of bread. Yeah. You could definitely feed 500 5000. So I'm thinking of Jesus <laughs> or
0: something. <reason. laughs> it is Easter we are recording some good Friday. Yeah, That's yeah. why yeah. Um maybe you, I didn't see it in his cookbook though. Yeah, and uh, finally one was when he w- he met Andy Warhol in in a hotel in in um, New York.
1: You mean Andy Warhol? <laughs> <laughs>
0: so, and apparently Warhol gave him a, a Marilyn screen print, and Darley took it, looks at it, and uh, weed all over it, and uh, Andy Warhol was quite delighted by that. Well <laughs> you would be, wouldn't you? If you did if I did a picture and you weed over it, I would not be happy.
1: Yeah, but you're not Andy Warhol. <laughs>
0: or
1: should I say Andy Warhol <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I don't know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you would be upset if I weed on your picture you Yeah, it. I would. Well, even if it was a screen print of Marilyn, you gave yeah. Me. But the
0: thing is, is most of my work's watercolor, so you would so actually I say ruin gave, it. The you
1: gave me a watercolor of Kylie Minogue.
0: Yeah, but you would be <laughs> ruined because if you if you weigh on watercolor, it tends to make it run quite badly.
1: Yeah, but it's Kylie Minogue. Yeah, Surely but... it's like there must be some.
0: Uh... Are we really? Are we really <laughs> talking about weighing on Kylie Minogue? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, no, on a watercolor of her. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It would run.
1: Yeah, well, is there anything of yours that I could wee on that you'd be delighted by?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I've got a couple of pictures of Smurfs. (laughs) (laughs) Right so tom yeah that ends our darling, our date with DALI. yeah done because as i said he appeared in my dream so uh quite a fascinating guy you know well he
1: he lived his surrealism didn't he yeah
0: so uh thanks for listening and um Please, if you can subscribe and share the podcast, that We don't great. have
1: subscribing though, do we? It's well, like we don't need to su- subscribe.
0: iTunes, Spotify, yeah, yeah, definitely. Please you subscribe. Yeah, no. su- you do. No, listen's what you do. Listen, please listen. No, and subscribe. So no, I'm, sorry. I'm not having this not subscribing business. No, no, this is this is what all podcasts say, Tom.
1: I know, but it doesn't make any sense that all podcasts say this and it gets my goat up
0: oh well i'm saying subscribe you're <laughs> yeah. saying you can say something different you can okay. say what you want to listen. yeah please listen yeah. to to our pod and subscribe right <laughs> uh, and and also if you can give us a review uh, that'd be fantastic five star review we're on twitter quite a lot now um and what's the twitter address tom twitter.com forward slash mod art is rubbish again i always have to stress i think mod art is very good and i like Lambrettas. i like the drawings and the artwork that are on some scooters excellent yeah um also we've got a facebook page what's the facebook address tom facebook.com forward slash modern art is rubbish we love hearing from you, and if you want to get in touch with us directly, we've got a, a an email address which is info at modernartisrubbish. That's info at modern art is .com. Yeah, and also, um, it does cost us to do the podcast. Uh, some people like to support us by heading over to our Patreon page and making a small monthly donation, and that really helps. And the address is patreon.com forward slash modern art is rubbish. And I think it's just goodbyes, isn't it? Okay. So that's uh, just byes. Okay, bye. 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 bye.